It's our privilege to present this message from the teaching ministry of Reverend George DeYoung as part of the Fruit from Under the Fig Tree. George DeYoung is the founder of Under the Fig Tree Ministries, an organization dedicated to helping people understand the power of God's Word in its Jewish context to equip them to impact their culture. George helps us understand the message of Christ by experiencing the world of the Bible. We pray you're challenged and encouraged by the Word of God as George brings us this teaching from the text. Now, let's see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and set our hearts on what God desires as we join George recorded live on location. Live life loving. And we begin with the Shema. I, I, and I had the honor of unpackaging the Shema with you at that time. And um, I don't know if I mentioned it at that time, but uh, since then, uh, Beth came to me and she said, you know, I just found this, this paragraph from Frederick Beekner. I don't know if you know Frederick Beekner. Uh, he happens to be my daughter Gwyn's, one of her favorite authors. And Beekner wrote these words. He said, to be commanded to love God at all, let alone in the wilderness, because you know the Shema was from Moses, right? It was la- the people were still in the wilderness. Uh, is like being commanded to be well when we're sick, or to sing for joy when we're dying of thirst. To be, command, to, to be commanded to love God is like to run when our legs are broken, but this is the first and great commandment nonetheless, even in the wilderness. Then Beekner goes on, especially in the wilderness. You shall love him. You shall love him. And, and, and this whole idea of being commanded to love is a little bit foreign to us because our culture has so saturated us with our culture's meaning and content for what love is. Because our culture tells us that love is, at its very essence, emotion. <laughs> you can fall in and out of love. Uh, you, you, I don't feel love for you anymore. Um, and so emotion is, is, is largely the content of love for our culture. And I wonder sometimes if it's too large of a content or definition of love for God's people. Because love for God's people involves emotion, no question about it. But for God's people, love is something much more. Love is commitment. And when God says, love the Lord your God, and when you and I in the Shema declare that to each other, uh, the first thing that we're saying to each other, which involves emotion, commit to the Lord your God. And also, love your neighbor, be committed to your neighbor as yourself, as you are committed to yourself. And so we looked at that. We looked at the Shema, and then the following week, we looked at love your neighbor as yourself, and we looked at the Leviticus 19 passage. Quite frankly, I remember saying to you, you know, when it comes to loving God, he's the, that's the low-hanging fruit. God, what's not to love about God in a sense? Because he forgives, he's patient. It really gets hard when we have to love our neighbor as ourselves. I want to, I want to, if it's possible, and I think it is, because I've been studying this all week and even before that, um, I, I think as, as hard as it is to love your neighbor, uh, to love your enemy, and, and Romans tells us that, right? It, Romans says, uh, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And so doing, you pour 
burning coals on him. And I remember years ago when we were studying that, and, I, and I, we did a study, and, and, and uh, our, my friend Jody, I remember one time we were in a Bible study together, and, and we talked about burning coals. I said, where else in the Bible do you see burning coals? And Jody would say, Isaiah! Uh, Isaiah 6, because Isaiah is, woe is me, I am undone, I'm a man of unclean lips. And then the angel took a burning coal and touched his lips. And, and then we thought about Abraham when he was having this dream and there was this fire pot and this flame that goes between him and the separated animals, remember? And, and each of those were a, a, a symbol of God. So when Paul says, feed your enemy when he's hungry, give him something to drink when he's thirsty, and so doing you pour burning coals on him, so doing you pour the presence of God on him, he's saying. That's hard. There's a lot of uphill to that. Because I don't know about you, but in my neck of the woods, enemies by definition are not your friends. And there's a reason why they're my enemy. That's hard. But I'm going to suggest to you something that's even harder than dealing with your enemies. This, this message is going to be difficult. It'll be difficult for you to hear, as it is difficult for me to preach. Because you have to understand, although this message will come from, through my mouth, it is directed to more, towards my heart and my ears as much as it is yours. And this is a hard one. In order to get there, I want to I I go to a text in the Hebrew text I want to go to a place in the Psalms. I want to go to one whose name is Beloved. And in the passages of Scripture that I'm going to share with you, I will begin with the one who's known as Beloved. That's what his name means, David. And I want to conclude our Scripture thoughts, as it were, our Scripture references, with the Beloved of God, Jesus himself. You know that we pay attention to to. to the, t- the text and, and what's written there and, and how, how God describes himself and how God is described. I just want you to understand that in my opinion, I have not found another biblical writer who describes God more frequently as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's the loving, that's the compassionate name of God. It's the covenantal name of God. But in this psalm, and I don't know if I'm making too much of it, but in this psalm, he doesn't refer to the Lord. He refers to God. So, beloved, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with him, and through him all things have been made. Apart from him, nothing's been made. In him is life, and that life is the light of the world. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so the word became flesh. And beloved, I think it would bring great joy to God's heart if after our hour together, we would all leave here. And the word of God, Jesus himself, the body of Christ, would be a little bit more braver, a little bit more bolder, that the word would become flesh in the living of our lives. And we beheld his glory the glory of the one and only, full of grace and truth. Say these words, if you can, with me in the Hebrew. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloecha, V'chol lavavcha, U'v'chol nafshecha, U'v'chol meodecha, Ve'ahavta l'reacha komocha. Amen. Together in the English, declare it, would you please? Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. The very words of God. Whenever you memorize text, I think, or you have a piece of God's word that you're called upon to read, one of the challenges, and this came to me as I climbed Mount Baldy and thinking about how my, I wonder what, I wonder what the tone of voice is, because there's much passion here. Listen to my prayer, oh God, do not ignore my plea. Hear me, answer me. My thoughts are troubled, and I am tormented because of what my enemy is saying, because of the threats of the wicked. They, 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 they in their anger, bring down suffering on me as they assail me. And I, I am full of the fear of death. Horror and terror have befallen me. Destruction. Destruction moves through the streets of the city. Threats and lies are active there. Now, if it were an enemy, if it were an enemy, if it were an enemy who was insulting me, I could endure that. I could handle that. If it were a foe who was attacking me, I, 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 from that I could hide. But it is you. It's you. You, one like me. You, my companion. You, my friend. My close friend. You, you and I fellowship together. We fellowship together as we went to the house of the Lord. We fellowship together as we were amid the throng of worshipers. I wonder... If David was thinking about, or pardon me, I wonder if Jesus was thinking about Psalm 55 when he said to Judas, Betrayest thou me with a kiss? You know, in Jesus, um, you have someone who told the disciples before it ever happened. <laughs> he says, you know, they're going to they're gonna beat me, they're going to, crucify me, they're going to kill me, they're going to put me in a tomb. And so Jesus knew all of this was coming. So on one hand, he knew that. Um, on the other hand, in that knowledge, he had to endure that, and that's a different kind of knowing. You know what that's like. You have that surgery scheduled. You have that performance review. <laughs> and you know what happens in those things. You anticipate, you know what's coming, you, you even make the appointments. But then you have to go through the surgery. You have to go through the performance review. And I just think Jesus is standing there. And he knows. He said to Judas in the upper room, go and do what you have to do, do it quickly. He knew. But then Judas comes. This one this one who was a friend. One, one of him. A close companion. Betrayest thou me with a kiss. I would put to you, there is no end to the challenge of loving your neighbor, of loving your enemy. But it is a, it is a challenge of a different sort a higher level to endure portrayal when you've been betrayed 
You know, the thing about Psalm 55 is we don't know when Psalm 55 was written. Scholars think it's after Absalom and stuff like that. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. I, I wonder if David wrote Psalm 55 while he was confused with Saul throwing spears at him because, I mean, he worshiped with Saul. He played music and Saul's evil spirit calmed down. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know when he wrote it. And maybe that's, maybe that's helpful. Maybe we, sh- we don't need to know when he wrote it. Because, you see, David, David is talking to us about a betrayal that so pierced his life. But if you know the story of David, David is also the one who betrayed. Talk to Uriah. Talk to Uriah. And that's what makes this message so hard. Because, you see, I've been betrayed. But I've also betrayed And with this message, I encourage you to listen to it with both ears. As having been betrayed, and as having been one who violated the confidences. The one who said, did. I want you to listen with both ears to this message. Now, when you think about betrayal, in Hebrew, the word for betray is dagav. Say dagav. Dagav means um, you've broken faith with. You, 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 your, your faith is, is shattered. In Greek, the word for betray is parodidomi. Say parodidomi. Paradidomi. Paradidomi. And so you get both sides of the coin here. Paradidomi literally means to hand over or to hand control over. This is the word, this is the word that Jesus used when he said to Judas, Parodidosco? Paradidomi? Paradidomi with a kiss? You're handing me over with a kiss? And, 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 and so, so when you're betrayed, faith has been lost in something that has been precious, has been handed over to a person, to a place, to a public that you never intended would know. Or something has been handed over a vulnerability, and that vulnerability has been brutally squashed. That trust. You see, vulnerability is, vulnerability is what makes us a congregation. We, we, we can't be a church if we're not vulnerable. That, that vulnerability, I, I, I have to tell you, uh, for, for, for my, my relationship with Beth is, is, is just a growing time of being more vulnerable, more vulnerable, more vulnerable. That's a hallmark of any healthy relationship, isn't it? That's why some of us are hesitant about our relationships because we've been vulnerable with someone else and we've been, we've been betrayed and we're not, we're not, we're not, get, I'm not going there again. I'll go so far, but no further. No. You know, vulnerability, uh, the defin- definition of vulnerability, liter- vulnerable literally is to be susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. You're showing your underbelly. <laughs> the girls gave us um, a little Karen Terrier. We call her Machen. She's two years old now. 
she, she was cuter than a bug's ear. Okay? She just is. And um, I know I'm supposed to have her on a leash, but I'm getting away with a lot of loose dog running around because she's so cute. When she sees someone, you know what she does? She goes in her back. It's just, rub my belly, rub my belly. And people, you know what their response is? Aww. To be vulnerable is to show them your underside. And some of us have shown our undersides. And we've been betrayed. Our marriage, our parents, our children, our friends. <laughs> betrayed. I, I, think, I think that betrayal is, is hard to come back from, isn't it? I, I can't be the only one. I, I, think about, I think about for Jesus, and I, I want to think about specifically two of the disciples. We can think about more of them, but I want to think two of them because the scripture highlights them. Both of them betrayed. Both of them shared the same experiences with Jesus, but both of them betrayed. And I think there's a lesson there. If I talk, if I talk about uh, name one biblical character, if I say, that, if I... <laughs> If I, if I say, um, you know, first man, you would say Adam, <laughs> first woman, Eve, okay? Um, burning coals, Isaiah, okay? Betrayal, everybody would say Judas. Hardly anybody names their kids Judas because it, it conjures up this betrayal. But people still do name their kids Peter. But Peter was a betrayer too. And I think Jesus, betrayest thou me with a kiss? Is because I, I think Jesus was remembering. Remembering when he called each of the disciples to follow him. We don't have all of their stories. I don't know what it looked like for Judas, but I do know what it looked like for Peter. He was fishing one day, and, and then Jesus said, Can I use your boat for a bit? And they go, and he's teaching, and Peter's just listening, drinking in every word, and throwing your net and all the fish, and I'm going to make you fisher of men. Come follow me. And off he goes, and, and they follow him. And, and, and they probably knew Jesus, because I've been in Israel a bunch of times, and, and Nazareth is about 30, 40 miles away. It's a couple, a day, a day and a half journey, but I, it's not in impossible to go from Nazareth to the Galilee. And so I, I, I have a feeling they knew Jesus and of Jesus much before he ever started his earthly ministry. I mean, he didn't come in a vacuum, so they knew him, and they probably saw him teaching in synagogue schools, and, and they, and they, but, they, but then his, he became a rabbi, and he became traveling around and to be invited to follow him, and they, they followed him. But when you follow him, you follow him 24-7, 365. And so, and so they ate together, and they watched how he prayed. They, they, they slept together, and they watched how he slept, and and they, 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 they engaged the crowds together, and they saw how he engaged the crowds, and they, they were so proud of him because people would bring their little kids. You don't bring your kids to a crabby rabbi to bless. No, they bring their kids to, and they, they're so proud of him. And, and they, they felt so safe with him because sometimes, sometimes Jesus would tell stories. He would tell these parables, and, and there'd be amazing truths in them, but sometimes the disciples think, well, poof, that one went over my head, and they, after the crowds are gone, say, you know, Rabbi, um, Jesus, I, I don't get this soils business. I, I mean, that, that last one you told me, no worries, let me tell you. And they would talk with him, and they would grow with him. They would be empowered by him. There's, there's stories of the disciples going out two by two, and they'd be casting out demons, and they'd be healing people, and they'd be teaching. 
and all because of Jesus. They were, they were just reflections of the light that their rabbi was, and they were so proud of it. You have no idea. After all these years, three years wasn't enough. Three years, the depth of love and relationship. You have no idea. It culminates with that week. They're, <laughs> they, they, you want us to get you a what? A donkey? No, I want you to get us a foal of a donkey. I want you to get a baby donkey. I'm riding a baby donkey in. Donkey, donkey is a symbol of peace. Baby donkey, even more peaceful than an adult donkey. I, I kind of see Jesus like he's sitting on a tricycle. He's a, <laughs> baby donkeys are not big. Anyhow, he comes in. Okay, palm branches, disciples walking with him. We're with him. We're with him. We're with him. We're with him. It was a heady week. I mean, Jesus, he had a lot of chutzpah that week. Well, he had it all the time. But this week, he, of all the weeks, he goes to the temple, he starts throwing over tables. We're with him. We're with him. We're with him. Well, that's how the week began. Uh, the week would end with Judas being 30 coins silver richer. <laughs> Peter, by a fire, denying, bowing, cursing that he never knew him. I, I wonder if David's, I wonder if Psalm 55 came to Jesus' mind. Because <laughs> Judas betrays him with a kiss. Jesus looks over to Peter because they could see each other as that rooster crowed a third time. If it were an enemy who was insulting me, if it was a foe who was against me, I could handle that. I could hide from that. But it's you. My companion, my close friend, you. How much sweet fellowship did Jesus enjoy with the boys? Huh? I, I'm making this point because I don't want to move over this betrayal thing too quickly because here's the deal. I find that whenever I've been betrayed, the betrayal I experience is the absolute worst thing in the world. You have no idea. And I just think you need to stop and ponder and savor Jesus. You know, I never noticed before. I noticed it before, but I've never noticed it before this way. Paul is talking to the Corinthians. And in that conversation with the Corinthians, he begins to talk about what you and I know as Holy Communion or Lord's Supper. But do you, do, do you remember how he begins that? The, listen, he, he begins with these words. For I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. So he's got something from God. God's given him something. And it's important that he gets it, he's going to give it to you. And, that's, and this is what it is. That the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, and broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember that? That, that passage in 1 Corinthians 11? What, what, what struck me, what I had never really thought about until this preparing for this message are the words on the night that he was betrayed. 
Paul says, listen, God gave this to me. I'm giving it to you. That Jesus, not on the night before he was to be crucified, not on the night before the blasphemy in the barracks. No. No, you have to understand. You have to understand that everything Jesus did was on the night that he was to be betrayed. And he knew it full well. Hmm. It's interesting that Paul, the persecutor, I wonder, I wonder if, 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 if persecution has at its very core the ingredients of betrayal. I wonder how Paul felt when he received this from the Lord and was commanded to pass it on to us. Hmm. How could Jesus do that? I mean, it's a very Jesus thing to do. I mean, on the night that he's to be betrayed, he took bread, said, this is my body. How does he do that? And you can't pull out the divine card. Don't say, well, he's God and I'm not. and Can't do that. No, 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 no. no. I, I think what Jesus is doing, what he's calling us to, he'll also equip us for, but he's calling us to, in the midst of betrayal, communion. And the thing about communion is, communion is with God, but also communion is with the people of God. How does Jesus do that? You know, um, when Jesus says, betrayest thou me with a kiss, that's Luke 22. I think it's Luke 22, verse 48. Do, do you remember how Luke 22 begins? L- Luke 22 begins with, um, uh, uh, um, it, now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that is Passover, is almost over. It's over. Or no, 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 no. It was coming. It was coming. And the priests and the Torah teachers we're looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. Some way to get rid of him. That's verse 1 and 2. Verse 3 then reads, Then Satan entered Judas, called Ishkeriot. Ishkeriot means man of Kiriot. Ish, Hebrew. Ishkeriot, man of Kiriot. Little town outside in Judah. One of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how they might betray, how they might hand Jesus over. Well, Judas went to the chief priest, pardon me. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how they might betray you, hand him over. And they were delighted. Judas, <laughs> hey, bud, I, I'm with you. We are so with you. And, he, and they, they agreed to give him money. By the way, Judas is always the one who had the money purses, right? You remember? You, and, and, I mean, you know, he's always the one that is concerned about money. So he consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when the crowd, when no crowd was present. See, um, Satan entered Judas. So when Jesus is in that upper room, 
I mean, Jesus can see this. Now, you, we can talk about this, and, and, and we don't have time in this message. We don't have the scope of it in this message. But here I'll tell you, is, is, is Satan, Satan really doesn't go anywhere where he's not invited. I mean, you, 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 you can resist the devil, even if you have to flee from him. He's a defeated foe. But there was something in Judas that opened the door a little bit. This money thing that the evil one could come in. That's important. We'll pick it up in a little bit. Now, now, you want to say at this point, Jesus, why didn't you put the kibosh on the whole thing? But Jesus didn't. And the Apostle Paul helps us with this. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, a little earlier in 1 Corinthians, he writes these words. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So what Paul is saying here is that the rulers really didn't understand what they were doing. This is the wisdom of God. Now, you could say, well, what rulers are we talking about? Well, Caiaphas? Yep. Pilate? Yep. Herod? Yep. Judas? Yep. Peter? Yep. And yet, no. Because there's something more going on here. Because every one of the guys I've just mentioned are rulers in their own sort, but they also are being ruled. Paul would tell us about the rulers of this age. He would tell us in Ephesians that the rulers of this age, well, we're not contending against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against rulers of this present darkness, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. In other words, when the text says that Satan entered Judas. Judas was handing over the rule of his life. And, and Judas then went on to betray. But you've you got to understand, there is spiritual warfare. You've got to understand that there's a battle being raged and that, that there's a dimension to your life that is the spiritual dimension. And you may not realize it, but it's there. And every time you have a choice, you have a choice. Who's gonna, who am I going to follow? Am I going to follow Jesus or am I going to follow, you may say me, but really, really, some, it, it, it's, it's, it's the evil one. And that's why I think, and I never heard this before this way, that's why I think when Jesus is on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. That's exactly what Paul would say later on. They had no idea. They had no idea. They had no idea what they were doing. You see, beloved, if you think some of the things that have been going on in our culture over the last several months or couple years are just political, are, are, are just Follow the science, and no one knows what science is anymore. If you, if you, 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 that, that's not of God. And, and all of those things 
I've said this to you before. Don't, don't, don't look to politics to unify this country. Don't look to pundits to, you, to give you a worldview. They're not designed for unity. They're not designed for appreciating diversity. They're, they're not, they're not, they're, they're, it is the context. It is the battlefield in which you and I find ourselves. There is one who, who is the spear point of one who wants to divide and hurt, and that's the evil one, and he's precisely the enemy of Jesus Christ. And that one you can show no quarter to. Now that one embodies himself in image bearers, and that's the ones you have to show quarter to. That's the ones where you and I have to gain perspective. But we have to understand that the one who's persecuting us, the one who's betraying us, in that moment are puppets in the hands of the evil one. And you've got to lift up your eyes to see something bigger going on. Otherwise, you'll find yourself punching down. Otherwise, you'll find yourself in a spot that you just can't move on. Because that betrayal defines you. Listen, you all got to realize, I mean, <clears throat> I had a conversation with a couple people this past couple of weeks talking to me about their kids as they're going into teen years. You know what happens, teenagers, when you go in your teen years? Mom and dad, they have the rules and everything, and, and the evil one will come and he'll whisper in your ear and he will say, you know who your greatest enemies are? Your parents. You know the ones who really want to limit you? Your parents. When in actual fact, there is no one on God's green earth in the flesh today who love you more than your parents. And parents? Parents? I know God delivers us as babies and we're really cute. That's why we have more of them. He doesn't deliver them as teenagers. And they get a little older, and they get, it's a little more uphill. It's a little harder. And in time, you're wondering, are we, are we on the same wavelength? Are we, are we, can we communicate here? Are we, and all of a sudden, the evil one says, this, these kids ruin our vacation. They ruin my birth. And you know where that comes from? That comes from the evil one, and it comes through you. You have responsibility, but it comes from the evil one. You have a choice. Satan entered Judas, but he didn't break down the door. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. You have control of the door. So here's the question as we land a plane. Why? <laughs> how? How do I come back from being betrayed? Now, I thought of the order of this very specifically. And I chose this order. You may disagree with my order. You may disagree with everything. I don't know. But here it is. How do I come back from being betrayed? Number one, don't allow the betrayal to define you. Don't punch down. Don't. It didn't define Jesus. And one of the ways of not allowing the betrayal to define you is don't keep it alive. Don't feed it. Don't use it as an excuse. Now, now <clears throat> you may be right as rain. And it may be altogether lawful what you're saying, but it's not expedient. 
I think when Jesus stood there and he's being betrayed and Judas betrays thou me with a kiss, the rooster crows a third time, Jesus said, that's it, I'm done. I'm out of here. I, I can't handle it anymore. No. 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 Because he didn't allow the betrayal to define him. Because he realized he understood who he's really being betrayed by. He knew. He understood that Judas was more pathetic than to be demonized. That Peter was pathetic. He was a pathetic puppet. And after three years of being with Jesus, these precious moments, these precious times, and I think even, I think even Jesus understood, I think Jesus understood that, that it, would take, it would take Pentecost. It would be taking Pentecost to drill these things into the hearts of these guys. Because all of these guys were inoculated with enough Christianity, with enough Jesus, but they didn't catch Christ. I think for us who grew up in the church, that's us too. But Jesus understood that. You have a God who understands. And because the Holy Spirit lives and thrives in you, does, doesn't he? Lives and thrives in you. You can, you can grasp this understanding. I simply call you to understand. Realize who it is really who's being betrayed. And once you do, then don't see yourself as a victim anymore. Don't see yourself as a victim. See yourself as a target. See yourself as the front lines of the kingdom. See yourself as this is the time that we show up. This is the time we power through. You don't see yourself as a player in the kingdom of heaven? What did you think those people in Hebrews 11 thought? That they were torn in two, they lived in caves, the world wasn't worthy of them. They were betrayed. They were persecuted. Don't see yourself as a victim. And understand this also. Don't stop trusting God for his favor. Because what happens with betrayal, what happens with betrayal, when it happens in a marriage context, more often than not, it ends in divorce. When it happens amongst friends, then there are people who say, I'm never, I'll never have a friend that close again. There, 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 there's, there, there's a sense in which when I've been betrayed, I want to punch out of life. I'm not going there again. Mm -mm, no, no. Why? Well, because my trust has been violated. And I think, I think Paul must have been thinking that when he said to the Romans, you know that in all things, huh, that God works, don't we, for the good huh, of those who've been called according to his purposes? Do, do, if he's sovereign over all, don't, don't think that this betrayal has put you out of, outside of God's favor, his protection, or his plan. I have, I have some friends whose spouse betrayed them. I have some friends whose parents betrayed them. And God has restored in those relationships and in those people what the locusts have eaten. And God could do that because those individuals were faithful. They didn't, they didn't look at themselves as a victim. And then... Number five, 
Don't stop serving God in his kingdom. And when it comes to betrayal, the first act of service, and I wanted to put it here after saying everything before, because I think everything needs to be said before, before we get to this. The first act, in order to see yourself not as a victim, in order for you not to focus on this, in order for it not to define you, you have to forgive. You have to forgive. You have to forgive. And I'm fond of reminding you, because I find it helpful for me. I hope I'm right. No one said I was wrong yet. You have to understand that there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. See, a lot of people forgive someone, but because they don't trust them, they don't think they've forgiven them. No, no. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is saying, I'll try again. And if you're faithful with a little, I'll give you a little. And I'll give you a little bit more. If you're faithful with that, I'll give you a little bit, a little bit more. What happens sometimes is the people who we forgive take the trust that we're open to giving them and they fritter it away. So we don't trust them. Doesn't mean you haven't forgiven them. You know, and I was thinking about this today or this week. I wonder... It helps me a little bit, and this is just a George thing, it helps me to understand a little bit of of some of the tensions in our world right now, in our country. I, I wonder if some of the racial issues that people are aching under are because they feel they've been betrayed by a country they don't share in the American dream. I, I, wonder, I wonder how open our government and our leaders. You know, one of the reasons why, as I recall, the Vietnam protesters was because they didn't trust the government. Because we're bombing countries we weren't at war with. I wonder right now, some of, our, some of the things that we struggle with politically is because can you trust them? I wonder in our congregation, in our community, if there's been some betrayal. So then I, I asked you to listen to this message with two ears. <laughs> I, I, we've, we've, we've really spoken to the ear that, say, that, that listens to, I've been betrayed. But I really need to talk to the ear that says, I'm the betrayer. How do I come back from betraying someone? You know, we call upon the one who's been betrayed to forgive. I call upon all betrayers, myself included, to confess. You know what confession is? Confession is one of the most ultimate ways you can be vulnerable. It's a recognition that wrong has been done.
Now, sometimes when you confess, not everybody heard this sermon. Not everybody buys into the kingdom. But when I look at David, he who was so betrayed, I don't know who did it, when they did it, why they did it, but they did it. And then I look at the time that David did do it, and he betrayed. For homework today, read Psalm 51. David's lament, confession, coming before God and saying, against you, you only have I sinned. Live life loving. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Ve'ahavta et Adonai Eloheche b'chol lavacha v'chol nafshecha v'chol me'odeika. And that ve'ahavta, that love, more than emotion. And the ve'ahavta l'aracha k'mocha, and love your neighbor as yourself, even when they're trying to kill you, and even when you feel the sting of betrayal. It's our desire that this teaching by George DeYoung has encouraged you to walk more closely in the dust of our Rabbi Yeshua. Please visit us on the web at www.underthefigtree.org or write to us at Under the Fig Tree, P.O. Box 1256, Holland, Michigan, 49423. Please remember George and this ministry in your prayers. Under the Fig Tree is a nonprofit organization that's solely dependent on your tax-deductible contributions. We very much appreciate your support. Now go and tell Israel. And until next time, may the shalom of the Lord guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.